Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. morning. It's good to see everyone this morning. For those of you who do not know me, my name is James and I am one of the pastors here. And if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in John chapter 15, looking at verses 1 through about 16. And um, as we've entered 2023, we have been taking, we've decided to take the month of January to consider how, as we're moving forward, how we can grow in living eternally invested lives that glorify God through Jesus. And we're planning to do this in January before we resume, hopefully, by God's grace, in February in the book of Romans. So um, this morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at John chapter 15 and how, as we are seeking to live eternally invested lives, how do you grow in humility? That's the subject for today. So Would you stand with me as we give honor to the Word of God, the reading of His Word? And before I read it, I want to give just a little bit of context about where we are in the book of where this uh, John chapter 15 is. Jesus is in His final hours of His earthly ministry. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to return to heaven to be with His Father. And He has just washed His disciples' feet And they have shared in the Lord's Supper together. And as the good shepherd, before he goes to lay down his life for his precious sheep, Jesus gives him his final words of instruction. He wants them to know before he leaves, before he sends the Holy Spirit to be with them, he wants them to know how they can live wisely and faithfully eternal lives until he returns. And and these words that I'm about to read are the words of our Savior. They are the words that he gave to his disciples back then. And guess what? These are his words for his disciples today. So if you are his disciple, these words are for you. So with those ears, let's read the word of God. Jesus says, I am the true vine, And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And don't miss this, for apart from me, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's pray. Father, once again, we are reminded that uh, we need you. We need you, Lord, whether we realize it or not. And the problem is, is that oftentimes we feel strong and confident within ourselves, and, and we can come to think that we can live and survive 
through life and our own strength and giftings. Father, we ask that you, by your grace, would shatter our prideful mirrors of deception. Lord, help us to see clearly who we are in light of who you are so that we will run to you and find rest for our souls. We pray these things in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to begin this morning by asking a question that's kind of, it's kind of difficult to answer. It's a difficult question to answer. And that question is this. It's a three-word question. Are you humble? Okay. Are you humble? You know, how do you answer that? Because if you are truly humble... And we know people that we would say are humble. But if you're truly humble and you admit it, then are you humble? Um, Does that prove that actually you're not humble? Uh, Humility is one of those uh, interesting characteristics. And I, I think that we would all agree that it is a desirable trait. We love to see it in other people and in the church. Uh, we all want to be humble or at least we want to be seen as humble, don't we? We want to be seen as humble. For example, when, when someone comes to you and, and compliments you in an area that you did really well in, you know better than to say, I know, man, I killed it, man, I'm awesome. You know better than to do that within the church. Rather, what, what do we do? We, we want to appear humble, so what do you do? You kind of look down and you point up and go, no, 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 brother, no, sister, it's not me. If God can use a donkey, then surely he can use me. You know, I just want to be, what? A blessing. Y'all have heard those, those statements. You've probably said them like I have before. That's what we say on the outside, right? But if we're honest, you know, how many times have you gone out of your way to serve uh, and, and to, to, to do something only to go, only to be unappreciated or for it to go unnoticed. Worse yet, someone else does the exact same thing you did, not as good, obviously, but they do exactly what you did, but they don't get, uh, and they get praised and recognized for it, but you don't. How does that make you feel? Sometimes it can make you feel slighted. It can make you feel overlooked. It can tempt you to just want to withdraw and say, this isn't worth, worth it. Humility is one of those tricky things because we know that we need to be humble because pride, the antithesis, the enemy of humility is bad. We know that pride is bad. We know that pride is bad because Scripture says that God hates pride, doesn't he? Pride is the first of the seven deadly sins that's listed in Proverbs 6, verse 16. The first sin that God it says that he hates, he hates arrogance. And then we're warned in Proverbs 16:5 that everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Tim Challies writes about pride. He says, pride is a state of mind, or more essentially, a condition of the heart in which a person has supplanted the rule of God over his life with the rule of his own life or his own will. Instead of depending entirely on God, as was God's design, 
A proud heart now looks to itself to decide what is good and evil. This, is, this was exactly the folly of Adam and Eve when they determined to disobey God, to become like God. Pride is self-sufficiency, and we know that we should be humble because pride can lead us down a lot of deadly paths. It can cause us to think that we are, uh, think more highly of ourselves than we should. Pride causes us to feel entitled. It causes us to become ungrateful and to shamefully see others as disposable pawns who exist to advance our earthly empires. But Jesus says to us, his disciples, in Mark 10, he says, not so with you. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying to us that, that in his eternal kingdom, that the great serve, and those who serve are humble. That's why 1 Peter 5, Peter says to clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud. That word opposes there means he resists, that he is, he's actually hostile towards the proud, but gives grace. He gives kindness. He gives favor to the humble. God tells us, clothe yourself in humility. Now, what do, we, what do we mean when we're talking about humility? I want to give a definition starting out here that, that's, uh, that we can work from. Humility is realizing who you really are in light of who God really is. Humility is realizing who you really are in light of who God is really is. And you know, pride has a way of, of um, distorting our view of who we really are. It's like a carnival mirror. But seeing ourselves in light of God's holiness and love, it, it protects us from over-exalting ourself, which is pride, or undervaluing yourself, which is a type, a form of pride. And that's because we are, yes, we are sinful, but we are valuable to God. And, and so, and, you know, instead of me asking you, are you humble? I think a, a better question to ask is, are you growing in humility? And I, and I say that because it's, it's, it's honestly, it's difficult for me to say that I am humble. I, I know better. Uh, y'all know better. Y'all are laughing at me right now. You know better that, that, that um, I'm not humble. And, uh, but I can confidently say, and I know that you guys can confidently also say, that without being proud, you can say that you are growing in humility. And, and that's what us, I want us to look at this morning as we're getting into our passage. I want us to look at how, according to God's word, how can we grow in humility? Because God opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. And in doing so, I want to give us three gospel truths this morning 
These are truths that we have to grasp. You, we must grasp these if we are going to grow in humility. They are gospel truths that are available to everyone, anyone and everyone. And so if, you are, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Growing in humility requires we understand. Now, this is kind of the overarching theme. Number one, growing in humility requires we understand that, number one, we are branches. We are branches. You need to understand that. Verse 5, John 15, verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Now, obviously, Jesus is speaking metaphorically here. And in this symbolic word picture, Jesus uses the relationship between a vine and its branches to describe what the relationship between him and his church, his disciples, should look like. And look, Jesus is very clear in this. He's saying this, you are not vines. You are not a vine. You are not like, he says, I am the vine. I am self-sufficient. You are not a vine. You are a branch. And you know, branches, when they're attached to the vine, they can be beautiful. They are important. But we all know that branches are needy and dependent Upon and they are supported by what? The vine, right? Branches cannot survive apart from the vine. Again, Jesus says, apart from me, what? You can do nothing. And what he means by that, I believe, you can do nothing of eternal value. You can do nothing that is going to last beyond into eternity. And listen, this is an extremely significant truth that we need to take hold of if we are going to grow in humility in 2023. We need to understand that Jesus is the vine and we are needy, dependent branches. We are finite, created beings who cannot survive on our own. That's number one. Number two, if we're going to grow in humility, we have to understand that we exist, we exist to bear fruit. We were created. We were designed by God to bear fruit. Let's look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. He prunes. That is, he, he trains. He, he takes in through discipline and, and trials. He prunes us that we may bear more fruit. By this is my Father glorified. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You did not choose me, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and, what? Bear fruit. Look at this, fruit that will last. Fruit that will last. Now look, have you seen how important bearing fruit is to Jesus? He mentions it at least seven times in this short passage. And he's, what he's saying is that we exist to bear fruit that glorifies God, fruit that will last. Um, that's what we want, and that's what Jesus wants for us, which raises two questions. What is the fruit that he's talking about here? A lot of people have different views on this. What is, it, what is the fruit that Jesus 
Jesus' true, true disciples bear? And then secondly, what does it mean to bear fruit? So we want to look at what is the fruit and what does it mean to bear it? Now, when the Bible speaks of fruit, God says that there's two kinds of fruit. There's good fruit and what? Bad fruit. And in Galatians 5, 19, Paul talks about both of these. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious, or the fruit of the flesh is obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And look what he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, he doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 22 to say, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the, the fruit of Christ is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, I want us to look at those traits right there, that fruit. Isn't that a description of Jesus? This is Jesus perfectly. He fulfilled all of these. Verse 24 says, those who belong to Christ, Jesus, those who are the true branches have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, meaning that we are now able to bear the fruit that was just mentioned. Now, what is the fruit that Jesus' true disciples bear? I believe in part that a true branch, a true disciple of Jesus bears the fruit, and here it is, bears the fruit of becoming and looking more and more like Jesus, expressed through humble obedience in the way that we live our lives. I want to be clear, when we say we want to become more like Jesus, we are not talking about a Christ consciousness. We're talking about being transformed in our hearts so that the way that we live our lives is in line with the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's, it's like John the Baptist, when Jesus comes into his ministry, what does John say? He says, he must increase and I must decrease. And that, that's the heart, that's the heart cry of a true disciple of Jesus. Because when we come to Jesus, what does he do? He gives us a new heart. He gives us new dreams. He gives us new desires. He gives us new direction in life. And our hearts, what, what do our hearts cry out when we are walking in the Spirit? We cry out this, more of you and less of me. Take, take everything. Lord, I want you to take everything that I am, everything that I have. I, wanna, I want you to make me more like Jesus. Isn't that the heart cry when we are in the right space, when we are surrendered to Christ? So I think that that's what, what, um, what the fruit is, becoming more like Jesus. But what does it mean to bear fruit? In verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and 
bear fruit, fruit that will last. Now, notice he doesn't say, I appointed you so that you might go and produce fruit, but rather that you might bear fruit. And you might be going, well, what's the difference? What's the difference between producing fruit and what's the difference between bearing fruit? And I want to just say that there is a huge, huge difference between producing it and bearing it. And, you know, I don't know how many people I have talked to over the years, um, who, myself included, who grew up in the church, heard the gospel their entire lives, and yet failed to grasp what it means to bear fruit. This is such a basic teaching, but it is so profound if we miss it. Um, For some reason, we usually get the part about becoming more like Jesus. Everybody knows, you know, you've got to become more like Jesus. But instead of bearing fruit, we try to produce it. We, We try to buckle down, grit our teeth, become more disciplined in our own strength. In other words, we try. We see what Jesus is like, and we're like, I want to be more like Jesus, so I'm going to try to be more loving. I'm going to, I'm going to try to be more joyful, more peaceful. I'm going to be more patient. That never works, does it? When you try to be more patient, you're going to be less patient. I'm going to be more kind. I'm going to be more good, more gooder. I'm going to, I'm going to be more faithful. I'm going to be more gentle. I'm going to have more self-control. And you know what? Most of us have discovered when we try to be more of those things, the harder we try, the more we realize we can't do it. Now, we do it for a season, but then we fall back. And it brings frustration and discouragement in our lives, if we're honest. And and that leaves us with three options. There's usually three options that I've seen people take. Number one, you give up and you give in. You're just like, you know, I can't do this. I was talking to somebody just this week who was, that's their testimony. They, they came to a place where they're like, you know what? I, I can't do this, so I give up, and they leave the church. Number two, you fake it till you make it. In other words, you staple manufactured fruit on your public self, that, that self which everyone sees, good things, and, while, while people are watching, but in private. In private, you're living a double life. You're living hidden from the eyes of man. Now, God sees everything, right? He sees it, but man doesn't. So you fake it. Or number three, and this is the path of humility. Number three is the path I hope that we will all walk on, and that is that you will humble yourself and believe Jesus when he said, abide in me because Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me, because if you abide in me, you will, not you might, you will bear much fruit. And that requires humility to admit that we need Jesus. So if if we're going to grow in humility and to bear fruit, this is the third gospel truth. We must abide in Jesus. Now, abiding in Jesus is pretty serious stuff. He mentions this 11 times in 16 verses. He calls us to abide in him. He says in verse 4, abide in me, 
and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 6 is a warning. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Isn't this like the parable we looked at last week? The parable of the talents? This is, again, a picture of those who live eternally faithful lives and those who don't. And this is where humility, admitting that you don't have the ability, admitting our inability to live apart from Jesus. But you know what? If you can come to that place where you finally see, I can't do it, it can lead you to freedom. Verse 11, Jesus says this. He says, these things I have spoken to you. What things? Abide in me. I've told you to abide in me. I've I've told you to, to bear fruit. Why? That my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. And that's because, listen, when you realize and embrace the fact that you are a branch that exists to bear fruit, not to produce it, to bear it, then you come to realize what you're responsible for and what you're not responsible for as a branch, which is so freeing. Uh, You are not, listen, you are not responsible for producing Fruit, that is Jesus' responsibility. Our responsibility is to humbly confess, Jesus, apart from you, I agree with you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. And then to, like a branch, abide in Jesus and allow him, allow him to produce the fruit through us. And listen, if we will do our part, If we will do our part, which is abide in him, Jesus promises, and Jesus cannot lie, he promises that he will do his part. He will produce fruit in us, and we will bear fruit that will last. Guaranteed, it does not matter who you are. Everyone who abides in Christ bears much fruit. And that's where we find freedom to live lives with eternal purpose. So one last question I think I need to answer here is how do we abide? We have to understand that. How do we, that word abide means to remain. It means to stay. It means to reside in Jesus. What does that mean? If, I, if you had to give an answer, what does it mean to abide in Christ? What would you say? Well, you know, a good Uh, The good thing is that we don't have to guess because Jesus clearly tells us what it means in John chapter 6, verse 56. Look what he says. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, what? Abides in me and I in him. In other words, abiding in Jesus involves us abiding at the cross. 
staying at the cross of Jesus. Because it not only is the greatest expression of God's love for us, but it also reveals his humility. We've already seen that Jesus said that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so the cross reveals Christ's love for us, and it also reveals his humility. Because even though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And look at what Philippians 2.8 says. And being found in human form, he, Jesus, look at this, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. As I was studying that this week, this hit my heart like a lightning bolt. Jesus, the king of all kings, humbled himself. God, God humbled himself by trading his crown for a cross. And in love, he sacrificially served us by giving himself in our place. And that's our motivation, isn't it? To humble ourselves. And as we abide in, in, in that, as we abide at the foot of the cross, that is, as we, you know, as we gaze upon the suffering Savior, as we behold the Lamb that was slain, as we realize what he did, Jesus becomes our life. He becomes our treasure. And we grow in humility. And we bear fruit as we desire to be more and more like him. And so I would close by asking, are you, are you growing in humility? Do you desire to grow in humility? Do you desire to be more like Jesus? I think the answer for all of us is yes. And that means that we must learn what it means to abide in him. Because that's how branches who exist to bear fruit, that's how branches grow in humility, by abiding in the vine. Amen? Well, this morning, we're going to have the privilege of once again taking what we call the Lord's Supper or, or Communion. We're going to get to practice together abiding in Christ. Remembering, Jesus says, as often as you eat and drink of this, do it in remembrance of me. We're going to get to remember what Christ did for us. And we're going to, we're going to change things up just a little bit this morning. What I want to do is uh, for you to, to start to begin examining yourself this morning because this table right here is for, um, has three qualifications. 
Number one, it's for those who belong to Jesus. It's for those who are true, vine, uh, true branches, who are connected to the vine. It's for those who have put their, their faith, their hope, their trust in Christ and said, I'm done with my life. I want you to be my life. I trust in you what you did for me on the cross. And then secondly, we're, we're told that we, we need to make sure that there's not sin in our life. And what I mean by that is not that you're, that you're struggling with sin. We all struggle with sin. But there's no sin in your life that you're saying, God, I don't care. I'm doing it anyway. You're submitted to Christ in that. You're, you may be struggling in, a, in, in an area or areas, but you're not okay with that. You want to change. You want to grow. You want to be set free. He says, make sure you're right with God. And then the third one is, is make sure you're right with one another, your brothers and sisters. Make sure that in as much as it has to do with you, there's nobody in your life that you are withholding forgiveness from or that you are not asking for forgiveness from that you could, that you should. He says, if you are doing that, go, go to that person before you come to the table. Get right, and then come to the table. And then there's a fourth group here this morning. Maybe you've never put your faith in Christ. I want to encourage you this morning to put your faith in Jesus and then come to the table. And what's at the table is a cup with a wafer that represents the body of Christ. It's, it's the bread that was broken for us, his body that was broken for us. And then in the bottom is, a, is juice, which represents his blood that was poured out for our sins. That right now, when we confess our sin, we can be cleansed right now and start afresh. We're going to come to that table in just a minute. But what I want to do is, I have taken the crucifixion narrative and I've taken it from various gospels and I've tried to weave it together. And we're going to begin in the upper room just as Jesus has washed his disciples' feet and then quickly we're going to move to the cross. But here's what I want us to do this morning. While you're sitting there, there's not going to be words on the screen. I, I want you to listen with your ears. I want you to listen with your hearts. I want us to take some time together as a church to abide together with Jesus at the foot of the cross. I want us to hear his voice afresh. I want us to see and experience his love and ultimately to see how God humbled himself for us so that we will desire more of him and less than us. So I'm going to read the passage. Then the worship team is going to come up. We're going to sing a song. Then I want you to come take the cup, take it back to your seats, and then we're going to take it together corporately. We're going to take it together um, at one time. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to his disciples, Do you understand what I have done to you? He said, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I, then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash 
one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now shortly after this, Jesus is arrested in the garden. He is falsely accused and tried by the Jews and then handed over to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor over Judea. He is handed over to Gentiles to be crucified. And scripture says, Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. Pilate went out again and said to the Jewish leaders, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! said to them, take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he made himself the son of God. Pilate said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. With him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what they should take. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He can't save himself. Let the King, the Christ of Israel, let him come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, 
said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last and bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that this was the way that he breathed, 